My Bible reading has taken me to the book of Job. I celebrate and pray for you as you read your Bible through this year. And you get to the book of Job and I just keep reading because I don't want to stop. And I've been like you numbers of times to the book of Job and as a preacher, I can't depart from it without highlighting some things for you today. And so, while I want to lift up several references from this 42 chapter book, I want to highlight these verses found in verse 20, 21, and 22, chapter 1. Oh, thank you, Jesus. I just pause in my spirit because I feel the affirmation of the Holy Ghost. Don't get in your relaxed mode. Don't put your car in neutral and put up your umbrella because God's getting ready to change some of our circumstances. He didn't put this book in here because we needed a cute story. There's life here. Then Job arose, tore his robe, and shaved his head. And he fell to the ground and worshipped. And he said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return there. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all this, I don't just want you to be saying stuff, but I do want you to say that stuff. Everybody say, in all this. this. Say it again. In all this. Job did not sin nor charge God with wrong. Now, it takes a lot of sanctification. Reach up to him and ask him to touch us with his word. Come on, stretch up to heaven and, and ask God not to let you just be a hearer, but a doer. Lord, I sense your holiness today. I, I just pray that angels will just keep ministering to, to everyone here. I pray for the teenagers. I pray for the single adults. I pray for the single moms and dads. I pray for the widows and widowers. I pray for the senior adults. I pray for the babies. I pray for the adults. I pray for the employed and unemployed, the saved and the unsaved. I pray for the educated and those who would like to be better educated. I pray for whatever our distinction may be by nation, color, or creed. We are one at the foot of the cross. And God, I ask you that you would teach us and impart wisdom to us. Lord, you know what everybody needs. You even know what we came to hear. But if we, what we came to hear is not what we need, give us what we need. So God, bless us today with knowledge and power and transformation from your hand. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Thank you, and you may be seated. Hallelujah. Keep your Bibles open to this reference, the book of Job. In light of recent world events and daily headline news, the words tough times are appropriate words to describe our world, and maybe some of the world you're living in now. You really don't need for me to be your 
news in review commentator because you can get your own news. But I do feel impressed to refresh our memory so that we not only know the times we're living in, but we know what to do in the times we're living in. It's already obvious to you that there's a worldwide recession still taking place. The devaluation of currency as well as the U.S. dollar puts a strain on a lot of trade, commerce, imports and exports. We already know there's high unemployment everywhere. Tough times seem to be appropriate words. Repeatedly, before our eyes, the visual news media, we see the manifestation of conflict and unrest in places of the world that surprise those to whom it has come against. People who felt secure in their leadership or their government are now facing the threat of being toppled or having already been toppled. Egypt. Libya, Yemen, Syria. Oil and gasoline prices continue to climb daily. So that on my way to church, I see that this regular gasoline, $3.63 a gallon. Tough times. The threat and reality of terrorism constantly keeps us on the alert, does it not? And because of the evil intentions of a few people compared to the world population of almost 7 billion. Because of the hate and whatever emotions that come from those who want to destroy innocent lives. We have to get to the airport two or three hours before our departure. So that we may be treated as suspect. Because no one knows who might be a suspect. These are tough times. Japan's recent triple tragedy, the unfortunate earthquake that produced a massive tsunami, that produced nuclear chaos, earthquake, tsunami, nuclear instability, has had a major impact on Japan, which is one of the most technologically advanced nations in the world. It has rippling effects here in the U.S. on us. These are tough times. Last Friday evening, near the stroke of the end of the day and the midnight hour, our politicians were grappling with the issue of the possible shutdown of our government due to budgetary conflicts and out-of-control spending. These are tough times. And what I've just described to you is the world, a national scene, but what about where you and I live? The cost of living and unemployment affect your house and your family. Crime and violence all around us so that we have to lock everything up and put a security system on everything and double check everything because uh, there are some people who don't want to work for a living. They want to take somebody else's stuff and... So you have tough times, including in tough times, 
is this knowledge that marriages are suffering from symptoms of neglect. In some cases, symptoms of abuse. Marriages are suffering from poor or no communication. Financial strains or inappropriate interests on the part of one or more spouse. And these are tough times. It's tough times because we are called upon to raise kids that are often drawn away by the wrong crowd. Kids who are developing dangerous appetites for drugs and alcohol and sex and uh, other kinds of music that are very demonic in its nature. Tough times. How do you raise kids in these kind of times? Well, maybe you want to do what Mark Twain says. When they turn 13, put them in a 55-gallon drum, bore a hole in it, feed them until they're 19, and let them out after they're 19. And thus, maybe you've raised them through their teen years. But how many know that's not practical? Because they'll text their friend and they'll let them out. That's not my advocate, but that's, that's the times we're in. The times we're in where, where we are, we are I, I saw a documentary with my wife this week uh, entitled Waiting on Superman. Have any of you ever seen it, the educators and others? It's a documentary on the educational status of American schools. And the, the idea of the title Waiting on Superman comes from an educator who is highlighted in this documentary who says he's an African-American educator, and he says he used to love to read comic books. And one of his favorite comic characters was Superman. And he said that at eight years old, his mother told him that there is no such thing as Superman. He's not real. He said it devastated him. He was raised in a poor, crime-ridden, low-income housing part of the city he was living in. And reading about Superman, hoping that he was real, gave this eight-year-old the idea that help is on the way. And Superman's going to come to my house. But his mama told him, there ain't no Superman. And in case your mama hadn't told you, that mama was right. There ain't no Superman. And the object of the, the documentary, and I say to parents and to teachers and administrators that, that you ought to see this documentary, Waiting on Superman. The idea is that if there's going to be change in the education system of America, it'll begin with us, with we parents, we citizen. The same is true if you're waiting for the Obama administration to bail you out. He ain't Superman, Okay. You understand? He might want to be. If you're waiting for the church to bail you out, this guy ain't Superman. I may have shaved my head like Job. That's only because I'm trying to identify with his grief. I ain't Superman. Anybody helping me here this morning? And so I'm telling you that these are tough times that we're living in. And if the world's not in bad shape and the devil hadn't attacked your home, you know what? Just because you're trying to live right. You're just trying to live right. You come to church, you bring your family, you give your tithe, you give your offering, you sing in the choir, you do a ministry. You're just trying to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. You'd think the devil would leave you alone. Huh? How many knows he won't? You're going on your merry way on April 10, 2011. 
And all of a sudden, an attack comes to your mind that you don't know where it came from. Because the devil's alive, and these are tough times. And because the devil's alive, and because you love God, and you're trying to do right, and he wants to get you to backslide, he'll attack your finances. He'll attack your physical body, because he's alive, and the world is tough. He'll attack and take away your joy if he can. He'll come against your marriage, your children, and your faith because these are difficult times. And I want to tell you, if you think you're having a bad day, stop long enough and read about Job. Sometimes I just read Job as bad as it is to be grateful that I'm not Job. I know that all of us think that Job is a distant relative to us. I know all of us are probably in our worst days thought we were Job. But have you read about Job? I doubt that anybody in this house, me included, ever went through what Job went through. So I tell you, I'm here this morning to take some lesson from a man who has been there and done that and come out like a man who has been tried like gold with its impurity have been tried in the fire and the impurity has been scooped out. And when he came out, he came out more precious and more blessed and more victorious. And we can learn some lessons from people like that. Give a lot of hand clap, somebody. So... I want to talk about the do's and don'ts in tough times. And I want to begin with this thought. When times get tough, don't blame. Look at your neighbor and say, don't blame me. (laughs) Now you're covered. The Bible says in Job 1, 22, In all this, Job did not sin nor charge God with wrong. Chapter 2, verse 10, part B, In all this. Job did not sin with his lips. What does it mean in all this? Well, the Bible tells us that Job's possession amassed to seven sons and three daughters. That's a good family, wouldn't you say? 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 donkeys, a large number of servants, and the Lord inspired the writer to call Job one of the greatest men in his part of the country, in the East. If you were doing a mathematical evaluation with today's currency on the assets of Job, you'd find that his assets amassed over $6 million dollars. I would say he was blessed, wouldn't you? But the Bible tells us that in one day, things changed radically in his world. He went from the penthouse to the poorhouse in one day. Please look in your Bibles to chapter 1, verse number 6. And if you don't have access and somebody near you has... Maybe they'll let you look on. Chapter 1, verse 6. Now, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. And the Lord said to Satan, From where do you come? So Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro on the earth and walking back and forth on it. Well, well, pause with me. Evidently, when God wants to have a powwow, He just calls everybody together to the celestials and says, let's talk. 
He can still do that. And evidently on occasions, he even allows the fallen angel, the devil, to come to the powwow. Because he ain't got nothing to hide, God. But the devil does. The devil shows up in this come-together meeting called by God one day. And God says, where you been? Not like God didn't already know. But maybe he's wanting to see if the devil got saved. He didn't. I've been all over the world checking things out. And then God says in verse 8 to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? There is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, one who fears God and shuns evil. You know, listen to me, somebody. Just like God's eyes are all over the world looking to find who wants to be blessed and who's hungry for a blessing and who's ready for it. Can I get an amen here? The Bible says the eyes of the Lord are looking all over the waiting for somebody to say, stop by here, Lord. Come by here and bless me. Just like God's eyes are like that wanting to bless folks, Satan's eyes are looking for somebody who may be a little doubtful, a little weak, a little negative, and full of blame just to capitalize on it. And, and, and so, here's verse 9. Satan answered the Lord and says, Does Job fear God for nothing? Have you not built a hedge around him? I mean, know oh, God will protect you in everything if you trust him. Have you not built a hedge around him, his household, and around all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands, and his possessions have increased in the land. But now stretch out your hand and touch what he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. Verse 12, And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your power. Only do not lay your hand on this person. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. You know what, what, what the devil said to God about Job's righteousness is, Job serving you only because you bless him, but you quit blessing him and he'll curse you. Oh, somebody help me here. Somebody. As long as you keep the spigot open and Job getting blessed from your spigot, as long as you keep the windows of heaven open and you keep blessing his wife and his shearing and his cattle and his sheep and his land and his servant, he'll go to church and tithe and give offerings and bless somebody else. But you turn that spigot off and he'll curse you. And God says, you don't know the Job I know. Go ahead. Verse 13, if you're there, please. Now, there was a day when his sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. And a messenger came to Job and said, The oxen were plowing and the donkeys feeding beside them when the Sabaeans raided them and took them away. Indeed, they have killed the servants with the edge of the sword, and I alone have escaped to tell you. A servant escapes the onslaught of an enemy group of people known as the Sabaeans. Who come and steal all these particular livestock as described here, the oxen and donkey, and kills the servants. One is spared, and he comes and tells Job, it's morning time. Look at verse 16. While he was still speaking, another also came and said, The fire of God fell from heaven and burned up the sheep and the servants and consumed them, and I alone have escaped. There must have been a thunderstorm of some kind, blew up out of nowhere. Hit the ground, burned up the animals, burned up the servants. One man left to come tell Job what you thought you had, you don't have. Look at verse 17. While he was still, enough is enough. This man needs some Alka-Seltzer. <laughs> While he was still speaking, another also came and said, The Chaldeans formed three bands. This is another group of heathens. They have raided the camels and took them away. Yes, kill all the servants with the edge of the sword. I alone have escaped to tell you. I'm feeling like singing, nobody knows the trouble I see. You ain't Job. You, you, you may be close to him, but you ain't him. 
Look at verse number 8. While he was still speaking, another also came and said, Your sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house, and suddenly a great wind came from across the wilderness and struck the four corners of the house, and it fell on the young people, and they are dead, and I alone have escaped to tell you. I don't know what greater loss a human can suffer. Did you hear me? Now, I may be a little lighthearted a moment ago about this suffering, but ain't nothing lighthearted about that. To lose your spouse is the greatest loss if you've cared. Then you, if you've ever lost a child, you, then you, whether it's in stillbirth or whether that child suffered death it, later on in life, then you, then that, that the agony is nothing that anyone can compare it unless they've been there, including myself. And I've not been there. Don't want you to be there. But to lose ten, all of your children, because a violent tornado ripped up the house and picked it up and put it acres away someplace else and killed all your children. It don't, I can get more cattle, I can get more sheep, I can buy more land. I wish my servants hadn't died, but my children and everything, I've lost my wealth, I've lost my children, and now, what do I do? And what you find here is, is a man who doesn't blame. Can I, can I get an amen here? Because Job says in, in, in verse 20, are you there? Then Job arose, tore his robe, shaved his head, and fell on the ground and worshipped and said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return there. I don't understand the ways of God. I wish you'd have told me beforehand. I don't know what's going on. I think all my account is settled right. I don't know anything lingering out there that will bring the curse of God on me. But you know what? The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all this, Job did not sin, nor charge God with wrong. Somebody give the Lord a praise for that kind of faith. You see, I, I say to you, and I need to say this in haste, don't blame. Because most of the time, when our life is in trouble and it's out of control, many times we get in messes by our own making. Oh, I'm a preacher now. Yeah. So, before I'm quick to blame God, I need to look in the mirror and say, Holy Ghost, show me if it's something I've done wrong here. Huh? Sometimes I let my, oh my God, help us here, Jesus. You got some good singing after this because we're going to need some healing. Uh, you know, sometimes, uh, don't be looking at anybody, just look straight ahead. Sometimes there's a propensity to let one's mouth go in motion for their brain go in gear. It's happened to all of us, all of us. We have said some things to some people that shouldn't have been said. We have said some things prematurely without knowing the facts and the blame belongs right here. Can, can I get an amen? All along, they were sending us notices that by the end of the month, this is due. By the end of six months, this is due. Or by so-and-so, or we might be evicted, or we might, we might lose our stuff. But all the time, we're thinking, oh, it's going to be okay when we have been aptly warned to take necessary actions. And then we go blaming the landlord, or the teacher, or the coach, or our mother-in-law, or our wife, or our husband, or our children. Come on, help me here, somebody. I'm telling you, don't go blaming God because... Because the fact of the matter is when you need a brother and a sister and a mama and a daddy and a friend when nobody else will give you the time of day because you allowed yourself to blame them, God will always be there. And I'm telling you, my friends, always examine yourself and instead of blaming, start praying. Look at ourselves. (laughs) How warned repeatedly. 
Eve and Adam was warned, don't eat of the tree in the midst of the garden. There are hundreds of other trees. Numerous other fruits and provisions. I got a whole garden for you here. You can eat till the sun sets every day. You can eat of hundreds of different varieties, but that one tree in the middle of the garden, known as the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, in the day you eat of it, you shall surely die. Isn't it something amazing about walking into a building and there's a little sticker note that says wet paint? What do you do? Don't touch wet paint. Hmm. I guess it was. Isn't it amazing? You have a chest full of toys for your kids to play with and you tell them, do not climb on this counter and touch this other thing, meaning something dangerous to them. And what did they do? Do we ever outgrow that, brothers and sisters? I hope we do. I hope we outgrow it, but don't blame. Pray. Search your soul. And then here's another thought, please. I need to hurry. Don't blow your stack. <laughs> Am I preaching yet? I'll keep trying. The Holy Spirit showed me this. When you blow your stack, you blow your testimony. You see, not all of us are called to be pastors and evangelists and missionaries and pulpit speakers or Bible teachers. But all of us are called to have a testimony. Say amen, somebody. Every one of us have been called out of darkness into God's glorious light. Every one of us was on our way to hell. But Jesus convicted us of our sin through a song, a sermon, a prayer, a grandma, a grandpa, somebody loved us enough. And while we were on our way to hell, God convicted us and the Holy Ghost turned us around 180 and saved our soul and wrote our name in heaven's book and gave us a testimony. Everybody here has got a testimony. Can I, can I get an amen, somebody? Everybody has a testimony. What you were, what you are now, and where you're going to be. Somebody give a Lord a praise. Come on. God has delivered some of you from drugs, from alcohol, from pornography, from jail, from, a, from, from crime and violence. God has delivered some of you from a bad temper or a bad attitude. God has raised up your body when the doctor says you're going to die. He's given you a miracle. He's brought you through a bad marriage and given you a better marriage now. And everybody here has a testimony. Come on, give the Lord some praise. Not me. Give the Lord some praise. I know the recession is here. I know you're making less pain than you have. I know you're getting older and you don't feel the best of your health. But thank God you're six feet above the ground and not six feet under. Everybody here has a testimony. Yes. I was driving on the way to the hospital yesterday and saw a bank in Peachtree City. And when I looked at that bank, I remember that a man took his life there. A banker took his life there about two years ago because the economy changed and he thought the blame would be on him. I'm telling you, you just need to travel with me sometime to a nursing home or a funeral home or a jailhouse. You just need to travel with me sometime to a hospice or someplace else where people are suffering. And you'll understand you have a testimony. And I believe that when we testify of the goodness of God... He gives us the power to overcome the badness of the world. I was on the elevator coming back from visiting Brother Nathan Kay last evening. African-American lady was on the elevator with me. I said, it's a beautiful day, isn't it, ma'am? She said, lovely day. He said, God's smiling. I said, yes, he is. Sun's shining. 
By the time we got off the elevator, she said, but he was mad about something last Monday morning. <laughs> Monday or two, she said he was mighty mad. <laughs> Don't make God mad. You won't like it. When you blow your stack, you blow your testimony. And let me, let me, oh, help me, Jesus. Mm, are we still on daylight saving? Yeah, yeah. Thank you, Brother Whitley. You know, we, we try to protect all this testimony stuff with the boss, with the people we want to impress, with the carpool, with the coach, with the reverend. You know where that stuff ought to be practiced, protecting it? With the wife and with the husband. Did I say something to make you all so quiet? Testimony starts in the house with the children in the home. Giving honor to your spouse, sirs. Giving honor to your spouse, ma'am. Treating them with the same dignity and respect you treat you in love. You treat a stranger. Can I, can I get an amen? <laughs> Isn't it amazing how we have this tone of voice when our wife or our kids, bless God, I want to clean you up. I'm going to mop you, mop this floor up with you. Ring, ling, ling. Hello. Oh, I was just, yeah, having a good day. Don't blow your stack. More people being captured on video than you think. Because when you blow your stack, you make room for the devil to have a foothold in your life. Oh, I need to hurry. The Bible says, give no place to the devil. Can I get a witness here, somebody? Man, I went to see Brother Nathan, and I want to tell you, I want to tell you something about Nathan Kay. I've known him for over 30 years. If there's ever a man of God and ever a present-day Job, it's Nathan Kay. I had to go see. Let, let, let me tell you this. This man has been hospitalized since October of last year with cancer of the throat. He has only been home less than a month since then and now. Only released from a rehab program in Griffin, Georgia, last Monday night to return to the hospital on Wednesday morning with double pneumonia. Has a hole in his, in his neck and throat because of the trach and the capacity to try to breathe and, and has to be, uh, what is it, suction. Huh? The man has gone from 185 pounds to 124 pounds. I tell you that, that I have seen this brother, and you all have too. You, you, and, and, and sometimes it's not appropriate to go visit because of the nature of the need. You know, but, but, but here's my point. My point is, uh, he, he is like skin and bones. I go in and I have to put on, sister, I call Sister Joyce and I said, is it appropriate to come and see Nathan? She says, it does, it's appropriate if you don't mind putting on a gown. I said, as long as I don't have to put on a wig. Gloves and gown, and I tie it up. And, I, and I'm saying, they do that, they, they want me to do that, and you, if you visit someone, and you've known it, you've been to people with the situation. George, you know what I'm talking about. Your family went all the way up to Ohio to get care for you. you he's a, there's, there's another Job living through it. Stand up, George and Sharon. Stand up. This, this couple has defeated cancer in the name of the Lord. Give, give them a God bless you. Give them a God bless you. Yeah. Hallelujah. Come on, somebody celebrate. Yeah. Been up in Ohio for weeks at a time. 
trying to defeat a rare form of cancer. And here he is this morning. I, I'm just trying to tell you, they put all this stuff on you, and you because they don't want a germ, one germ, to get in to hurt the recovery of the patient. Give no place to the devil. Don't allow him in your mind because next thing you know, he's going to come through your mouth. Help me hear somebody. Give no place to the devil because if he gets in your mind and your mouth, he'll get in your feet and your attitude. And the next thing you know, there's a cloud of depression on you. But when the devil shows up, praise God anyhow. When the devil shows up, quote a verse, sing a song, testify, call somebody up and say, pray for me. I'm going to have power over my flesh. Somebody praise the Lord. Don't blow your stack as right as you are and as much as truth is on your side. Be careful with how you speak and where you speak. Don't belittle yourself. Say amen. Amen. Job says in 23 and 11, it's on the screen. Look on the screen and I'll read it. My foot has held fast to his steps. I have kept his way and not turned aside. God, I want to be like that. Don't you, church? Somebody say amen. I want, my, I want to keep walking in the steps of Jesus. I want to keep my way and not turn aside. I have not departed from the commandments of his lips. I have treasured the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. Somebody else say amen. I guess what I'm trying to tell you is the fastest thing that comes your way when you're going through tough times and a Job experience is self-pity. I have thrown more pity parties than I have fingers and toes to count. And you might as well say amen because you've been having some of your own too. Yeah, yeah. The only reason I hadn't made some of your pity parties is because I was too busy hosting my own. Yeah. And in the context of the pity party, we, we go like this. I guess I'm just a failure. I was a born, I, I, I was, I'm a born loser, belittling oneself. My life has been out of control. I guess it'll always be out of control. That's how the devil puts in your mind. To belittle yourself, there's no good thing in me. I will never get my act together. And, and, and we all, we, we're playing this this. CD or DVD or video, whatever in our head about how their marriage can be blessed, but mine's won't. Their kids can graduate high school, but mine won't. And and how the devil works. George can overcome cancer, but I I can't. Can can I get an amen, somebody? And and that's what the devil wants. He wants us us to get a frame of mind because as as a man thinketh, so is he. Can I get an amen? Our greatest battlefield is not our spouse. Our greatest battlefield is not the economy. Our greatest battlefield is not cancer. Our greatest battlefield is between our ears. It's called our head and our brains. And no wonder the Bible admonishes us to pray that we have the mind of Christ. Hallelujah. Could you just put your hand on your head like the forehead? Could you just do that? Would you help me do that? Could you just touch yourself and say, Lord Jesus, give me a mind like yours. Amen. <laughs> now give him. Now, come on, you didn't just play a game with me. You did something powerful. Now let me tell you, what I have to do sometimes is get my mind out of the mud. 
And I, I, have, I have learned some scriptures and I, I want to admonish you to learn them. When your mind begins to take you down to the gutter, you be, need to quote some scriptures. Or you need to have some in your purse or your dashboard or your cell phone. You need to have this scripture to quote when you begin to belittle yourself. Philippians 4 and 13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. When your mind goes to the gutter, you need to quote 1 John 4 and 4. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. When your mind goes to the gutter and you need hope, read Romans 8.28. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love the Lord and are called to His purposes. Romans 8 and 31 says, What shall we say then to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? Romans 8.37 Nay, in all these things, I am more than a conqueror through him that is in Christ Jesus. First Timothy says in 1 7, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Somebody clap your hands. Man, it's amazing how we can sing so many negative country songs. It's amazing how when you get sad, some of the most doom and gloom junk comes to your mind. I'm telling you, you know how I feel about country music. If you're near the point of suicide and got not nerve to do it, play you some country music. It'll take you right off the edge. Oh, God. Play you some gospel music. Play you some choir music. Play you some Holy Ghost filled people. Some of the people you're listening to got kids all over the country and they ain't married. Ho oh, oh. They're high on drugs before they go on stage and they're high when they come off. And we're listening to some of that chunk. No wonder they have the mind that we get. We need to have a house cleaning. Oh, help us, Jesus. Don't backslide. I, as if I needed to say that. Can I get an Amen. Oh, help us, Jesus. His wife says to him, Job's wife, do you still hold fast to your integrity, curse God, and die? But he says to her, you speak as one of the foolish women speaks, shall we indeed accept good from God, and shall we not accept adversity? In all this, Job, again, in all this, Job did not sin with his lips. Now, when I was younger and dumber, I misjudged Mrs. Job. I thought, how dare you tell him to curse God and die? But as I got older and went through some of life circumstances, I understand what Sister Job was feeling. She wasn't no sinner. You know everything he lost? Who do you think had them ten babies? Not Job. Have y'all done human biology before? He didn't have a very big part in that. She had them ten babies. She lost children, land, cattle. She's a hurting woman. So before we judge her too quickly, understand that her humanity was evident. She don't want him to. But she figures he's a gone, you know, she's, she's, she's given up. And then in the, in the wisdom of the Holy Spirit, he corrects her and says, look, we don't just serve God for the good times. We're not going to backslide now. Can I get an amen? amen? Because God never said earth would be heaven until we have a new heaven and a new earth. Huh? 
Everybody here will have a Job experience of some kind. Into every life, a storm will blow. You all know what I'm talking about. Sometimes more than one. Don't backslide. Don't quit church. Don't quit ministry. Don't quit reading your Bible. This is your life. This is better than vitamins. Thank God for surgery, but this is better than surgery. Don't backslide. Get, get a prayer group. Get in a small group. Say amen. Some, get in a ministry. Come to the men's prayer meeting. Come to the women's Bible study. Get some Holy Ghost filled people. Who, who, who love God and love the Word, who've been through some storms and came through. Get some people who not only know what they're talking about, but they've come through it and say, pray for me. I'm hurrying. Don't become bitter. Can I get an amen? Job says in 27, chapter 27, as long as breath is in me and the breath of God is in my nostrils, my lips will not speak wickedness. Nor my tongue utter deceit. When you read this book about the life of Job, you'll find out that he had some really intense words with God. So I'm not making him look like some kind of Superman. I, I read about Job and he, he prays to God to kill him. He's suffering so much. But God allows it. He cursed the day he was born. There were times he said, God, if you just show me my sin, I'll correct it so we can get on with this. But it was not about his sin. It's about God using one man to show the devil and his demons that not everybody are in a relationship with me for what they can get, get, get. Could you, Rachel, give me the last slide? Because the end of the story is this. No other source can be compared to God when it comes to blessings. Put them all up, Rachel, please. Just put them all up, please. No other source of blessings or prosperity or power or healing for your marriage, for your mind, for your children, for your finances. You go to the lawyer, you go to the doctor, you go to the school, you go to the bank, you go to friends, you go to relatives. All of those are potential sources of help and trouble. But no source can be compared to God when it comes to blessings. For, because the end of the book goes like this. For the Lord accepted Job. My prayer for you and me this morning is that we'll always be acceptable to the Lord. Warts and all. The Lord restored Job's losses. Can I get a witness? And I don't have time to read it, but every he, he was blessed with a new family, more children, double sheep, double oxen, double camels. The Lord increased, gave Job twice as much as he had before. And neighbors and friends and his relatives showed up. Read the 42nd chapters. After God delivered him, his three friends, Elphaz, Bildad, and Zophar, showed up to comfort him. Remember? Remember them? With names like that, who needs enemies? <laughs> Who's coming over, mommy? Elf has built that and so far, oh God, close the door. <laughs> Job was so sick when he showed up because, you know, the devil didn't just take his wealth and his family, but it took his health too. Remember in, in second chapter? Devil showed up, Job's still living right in chapter two, and God says, devil says, well, 
you didn't touch his body. You let me touch his body and his health and he will curse you. God says, go ahead and touch his body, but don't take his life. And worms infested his body. Infection. Sores, boils. The only comfort that Job could find in that attack on his body was to take a piece of broken pottery and scrape the oozing infection from his boils while sitting on an ash heap, burned out fireplace, a place of fire outside, sitting on an ash heap, putting on burlap bag kind of clothes, shaved his head, got ashes all over him, taking pottery. And I won't tell you, you ain't Job. I'm not Job. But we can relate. God shows up, heals his body. Heals him so much until Job says, Those skin worms destroy my body. Yet in my flesh I'm going to see God. For I know that my Redeemer liveth. I know. I don't know what he's doing. Let me tell you something. I'm going to have to find a place to shut up, but this ain't right here. Listen to me. Just because God's ways are hidden from you. Just because God's ways are hidden from you doesn't mean our ways are hidden from God. Did you just hear what I said? I can't find you, God. I don't know where you are. I'm still going to church. I'm still tithing. I'm still serving in ministry. I'm still singing in the choir. I'm still working with the kids. I'm still going to the nursing home. I'm still in the men's. I can't find you, God. And yet my bills are what they are. Man, man, I can't find you, God. Where are you? Just because you can't find God does not mean God can't find you. And He will. Accept you, restore you, increase you, and bless you. Stand, would you please?